Um, in the summer, I usually do a series uh, that has kind of do with questions from that I wrestle with or talk with people in counseling. And so I have a couple weeks available. So if you have a question that you would like to have answered, uh, you can write it on the back of the card and I can maybe develop a message around it. And so we have some uh, questions that we'll be dealing with relationships, that kind of thing. Uh, so if you have one, I know one that always comes up uh, when you guys look at me, and that is, uh, you say, how in the world did your wife get so lucky? I know that that's one that's always at the front of your, no? Well, it was a weak moment, not for her, for me, and then I said, yeah. so anyway, if you, have, if you have a question, we can wrestle with it. So it's kind of like a how-to, all right? So write that down and on the back of the communication card. So inside your program is the outline. Let's work through today's lesson as we're going to recap and then we're going to look at when opportunity walks by. <clears throat> Over the last several weeks, we've talked about opt- uh, hope and that hope is not optimism. And so in your outline there, you see that hope is not optimism. Optimism is a personal trust in you. Optimism is you looking at life through your own lenses and what's possible. So when we have an optimistic mind, we typically are looking life through what we're able to do, and we look at life, sometimes it's not so good, would you agree with that? Sometimes it's just messed up and broken, and yet we kind of, then we deny reality, because we don't want to face the reality of the truth of a messed up world in which we live in, and so we just put on our rose-colored glasses, and we walk through life, and we act as if it isn't broken and isn't hurting, and that's optimism, and that's not what we've been talking about when we talk about hope. Hope is theological. Hope is a personal trust in God. Hope is what you think or what you believe that God can do. Hope is looking at life through what is possible through Christ. And we got that idea on Easter on first, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Through Him you believed in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him so that your faith and your hope are in God, right? It's not in yourself. It's not in some optimistic thinking. Um, you know, rose-colored glasses and all is good. Our hope and our faith is in, is in God and in the power of the resurrection. And so as a result of that, we have in our life, we looked at this the last couple of weeks. I put it back in the outline just to give you guys a little reminder that when the presence of hope is in our life, it creates some positive effects. And so in your outline there, you'll have more satisfying relationships. You'll be more productive. You'll be less affected by stress. And if that was all it is, that would be wonderful, right? Right? <clears throat> be, uh, be more uh, successful. You'll feel more satisfied. You'll be more compassionate. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You'll be willing to help people in need. We're going to talk about that today. You'll be physically healthy. You will hold higher moral and ethical standards. You'll be more willing uh, and likely to assume leadership. You'll be more likely to see God as a loving, caring, and forgiving God. And so hope is important in our life, not optimism, not kind of the pie in the sky thing, but it's actually grounded in what scripture and the resurrection and it's based on that in our life. OK, and then we've been saying this in your outline that miracles are to build our our uh, are to build our faith or build your faith, which increases your hope. So the miracles that Jesus performed, it was to prove that he was Christ. He was the son of the living God, that he had power over nature and so forth. But it was also to build the faith of those who experienced it, who watched it, and then later us who would hear about it, 
that it would increase our hope because there is a positive side effect of having hope in our life. And we just went through that whole paragraph, all right? So, you got all that down? All right, good. So let's take a look at today. Today we're going to look at when opportunity walks by. When opportunity walks by. It's an account, uh, a a miracle that Jesus performed, probably one that we've heard many times. And so we want to not rush to the end of it. We want to make sure that we allow the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts as we plow through it. And let me just kind of set up the context for you, the backstory. <clears throat> Jesus is in uh, Jericho, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And there is a, uh, to celebrate the Passover, okay? And so this would be just really a short period of time before he's arrested and crucified and the whole Easter account that takes place. And so there is a large group of people who are following him as they're kind of making their way out of Jericho and they're heading toward Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And on the way, on the Passover, he stops and he heals a blind man, okay? And this man is calling out to Jesus and we'll get into how he calls him and what names he uses to identify who Christ is. But in Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus stopped because he had compassion. And that's important for us to kind of hold on to because we're going to circle back to that idea, all right? And, and so Jesus takes out of his time, his busy schedule of getting from Jericho to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and he's already three times now talked about that the Son of Man is going to be uh, arrested and crucified and gives him the, the disciples and all who are listening the Easter account one more time. And so he's leading into that, he's sharing with that that takes place. Now... Before this miracle happens, the disciples are, John and James, are arguing about who's going to be great, okay? And so Jesus goes through this whole thing, the Son of Man and all this other stuff, and and then they're arguing about who's going to be on the right and who's going to be on the left, okay? And so they say to Jesus, they say, hey, will you do whatever we say? And wouldn't that be wonderful, right? What a great setup, and Jesus is like, well, whoa, wait, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, you know, I want to be on the right, and he wants to be on the left. And then Jesus gives the disciples, and ten of them are pretty upset that James and John had this idea that they were going to be on the right and be on the left. But then Jesus gives them a lesson about being great. And he says, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. And if you want to be first, you've got to be last. And then he leads into the healing of this blind man who calls out for him. Now, sometimes when you're reading, there's a, a, the, the, an account in the gospel, uh, one of the gospels has two blind men, and this one in Mark's gospel, it just really focuses on this one individual, okay? So, as they're, as they're heading out of Jericho, they're heading to um, Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, just a short period of way, just a small period of time that's going to uh, take place with, or he's going to have with his disciples. And as we've looked at over the last several weeks, the disciples were not the sharpest guys in the room, right? I mean, remember the whole, what's the 4,000 feeding of the 5,000? What does that mean? And Jesus is like, let's go through this one more time. Okay, here we go. And so he would do miracles to kind of help them understand some of the miracles in which he previously had done. And we looked at that in the last couple weeks. And so these guys, the disciples, aren't really the sharpest guys. They're they're not real clear in what Jesus is saying. And we would think 
that with just a short period of time before he's arrested and crucified and placed in the tomb, that he would want to spend the last few days on earth with his disciples going, guys, are you getting it? But he takes time to perform a miracle to teach them a very valuable lesson about servanthood and what it means to be a servant in life, okay? So, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to take a look at what takes place in Bartimaeus. Some say Bartimaeus. We'll call it whatever you want to call it. Both There's two different ways of, tra- of pronouncing it. And so, in his life, he's sitting on the curb. He's al- uh, basically panhandling. He's blind. He's not able to work. In those days, if your family didn't take care of you or someone uh, close to you, you begged for your existence. You worked on the pity and the compassion of people who would be walking by in hopes that they would drop a few uh, pennies or dollars into your bucket. And that's how you basically made your living. And so each day they would go and they would panhandle, just like much like today where you come up to a corner in, a, in an area where you see someone standing on the corner with a sign. That's the same kind of thing. Well, what's interesting about Jericho is Jericho had um, a bush that was believed to have some type of sap or ointment in it that would, that, that would heal blindness. And so as a result of that, that area had a larger number of blind people because they would go there looking for hope. They would go there looking that somehow the sap or the ointment from this bush would heal them. And just as in third world nations today, blindness is pretty common. They didn't have the ointments that we have today when, when babies are born and that kind of stuff. And so as a, as a result of infections and so forth, children would sometimes be able to see for a few weeks. And then within a month or something, many of them would be completely blind. Most theologians believe that, that Bartimaeus was a person who could see at one point in his life and then as a result of uh, an infection was able to, uh, went blind and that's the basic, the phrasing of how Jesus says that you've been healed and we won't get into the bushes on that, but anyway, it's an interesting thing. What's interesting about his life is although he was physically blind, spiritually he could see. Although he was Physically blind, spiritually, he could see. Now look with me in your outline. Hopelessness is seeing life without God. When we look at life and we are godless, doesn't mean you're not a believer, but you're not looking at life of what God can do. If you've excluded him, that's where hopelessness creeps into our life. Bartimaeus was physically blind, but spiritually could see. In your outline there, overcoming hopelessness is seeing life with spiritual eyes what God can do. All right? And so he, although was physically blind, he actually had quite a bit of hope. And we'll see what he actually believed about Christ and who he was in in his life. And so he does five things to get off the curb where he's sitting panhandling to get into the game, okay? Now, a couple weeks ago, we looked at miracles in which Jesus healed the blind guy and it was in stages and it was to help us to see that we grow in spiritual stages in our life. Last week, we watched Jesus walk on water. He calls Peter out of the boat, 
kind of the big story of that is, is the problems in our life are under the feet of Christ, that he walks on top of the things that trouble us. And when Peter went to sink, he began to look at his circumstances and he began to sink, all right? Well, today's lesson isn't so much about encouraging you to feel good about yourself, but it's really to encourage you to get off the curb sitting and watching life pass you by and actually get in the game and begin to serve the kingdom of God. As I said in the first service, my experience with believers is the ones who are filled with the most hope are the ones that are using their gifts, talents, and abilities for the kingdom. Because if you want to know if God is real, then you extend your neck out, let God work in and through your life, and you will experience him in a very powerful way. And your life will be filled with hope because you'll recognize that we worship a living God who takes broken pieces of people and he uses them in amazing and miraculous ways. And so all of us maybe can stand up and talk about times where we went out, we extended ourselves out a little bit, stepped out of our comfort zone, God showed up, God used us, and we leave there thinking, praise God, that dude just showed up, and it is awesome because I am not smart enough to figure this mess out, right? And it increases your hope, and you become incredibly compassionate about life. You agree with that? All right, so let's take a look as we uh, mark chapter 10, and we're going to just kind of start with uh, verse 46, and you see that at the very top of your outline that he started, this is uh, Bartimaeus is sitting on the side of the road. So just keep that in your mind. He's sitting on the corner, uh, on, the, on, the, on the curb, and he's allowing life to pass by. He's got his little box there. People are dropping a few cents in as they walk past him, okay? He hears that Jesus is coming. He hears that he's coming across. He didn't plan for it. It wasn't like he said, I'm, I'm going to sit right here. So strategically, when he passes by, he's going to be right in front of me. He, 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 all he hears is Jesus is coming. And he is going to, number one in your outline, he is going to take hold of the moment. He is going to take hold of the moment as Jesus is coming by. He doesn't wait. He doesn't delay. He doesn't say next year. He doesn't say, I'll think about it. He doesn't say, I'll pray about it. He doesn't say, I'll form a committee and we'll discuss it. He says, I am going to take hold of the moment that Jesus is coming by. I perhaps went to Jericho in hopes of some ointment to heal my eyes, but the true hope is coming past and I'm going to grab a hold of this moment that I have. Verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples were together with a large crowd, they were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging, verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he is going to take hold of the moment of Christ coming. There is no procrastination. Now let's just kind of pause there for a second. Procrastination is dangerous. Not because you have a deck in your backyard that you've been planning to build for 10 years. Okay? That's not the problem. Here's the danger of procrastination. Maybe you've experienced this or you've known someone where all of a sudden in their life something horrific or terrible happens and they panic 
and it's like, we got to go to counseling. We got to fix this. You know, and, and they're a- amped up. They got to they solve it. They got to get the right person. We got to go to this. We got to do that. We got, they got to do it. And it's, it's never, hey, pastor, can I meet with you in the next four, five, six months? And maybe we can chat. It's like, can we meet today? Can we meet tonight? Can we meet this morning? You know, I mean, it's like right now, we want to do it right now. Okay. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever heard of anybody say that, because probably the chances are we've all said that. Here's the danger with procrastination. If you do not move forward and seize that moment, grab that moment, what will happen in three to four weeks, the brokenness will become the new norm for your life. And if you're a counselor, you'll recognize this, where, man, they can't get a hold of you quick enough, and then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, it's like, where are they? What happened? And you don't hear anything. You want to know why? Because procrastination isn't about a deck in your backyard that you need to build. Procrastination is dangerous because in a moment of brokenness or in a moment of danger, in a moment where something bad is taking place, you don't begin to move forward. You begin to accept it as the new norm in your life. And that becomes the new normal for you. And so if you sit here today and you got a broken relationship... I would just simply to say this, I bet you a steak dinner, if there was a day where you wanted to go to get counseling and you wanted to get help, you failed to for whatever reason, and as a result, that brokenness is the new norm, and now you're just living with it, and that's the way it is. That's the danger of procrastination. People talk about, oh, procrastination is I got a project in my garage I haven't done. Listen, that stuff at the end of the day doesn't matter anything. But when it comes to relationships, when it comes to finances, when it comes to the important things of your life, whether you have a deck in your backyard, who cares? But procrastination is incredibly dangerous. And so for him, he's going to seize the moment. This is his opportunity. Perhaps it's his his last opportunity. Of course, we know the rest of the story, and we know that Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified. So he's going to seize that. He's going to grab a hold of that as he comes, as Jesus comes by. And so he begins to shout, Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. And then it rolls into the second point, And that's this, that he overcomes his fear. Okay, that he overcomes his fear. If you're going to take hold of something, okay, in a, in a sense of a positive thing, there will always be a fear that creeps in. As we said last week, Uh, Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving in spite of your fear. As humans, we will always have areas of our life where we're filled with fear. But you've got to move forward, not allow that fear to control you. That fear will keep you on the curb, sitting and failing to do anything. You will just sit there and it will paralyze you in your life and you will be fearful of making decisions you'll be fearful that you're going to dis- that someone's going to disapprove of your choices and, and as a result of it you just locked up verse 47 he goes on he says son of david so he begins to holler out verse 48 many of uh, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet but he shouted all the more son of david have mercy on me 
And so you could imagine this group of people, you, you know exactly what they're thinking. They're like, this is Jesus of Nazareth. You're a blind man. Just sit there. Don't create a scene. Don't embarrass yourself. You just sit there. Hold your little bucket out. We'll drop a few dollars into your plate. And he doesn't want to see you. He's not interested in you. He doesn't care about you. But Matthew's gospel tells us a different account. That's what the crowd thought. But the reality is, Matthew's gospel said, Jesus stopped because he had compassion for him. See, there is a lie that many of us hear in our mind. And that is this, that Christ isn't interested in me. That I'm not important. That he's got other things to to worry about. But folks, that's not the truth. The reality is, he is compassionate toward you. The lie may be that I'm not important, but that's not the case. In fact, in, in, in John's gospel, in John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, I, Jesus says this, I will never turn away anyone who comes to me. If you go to him, he'll never turn you away. Now, maybe that voice in your head says that, but the reality is, is that he wants to embrace you. And so the crowd is saying, shh, be quiet, don't make a scene, just sit there, just, just let him walk by. He's not interested in a blind guy. And the reality is, he was incredibly interested in the blind guy. In fact, he was going to use the blind guy as not only to perform a miracle, but to really teach the lesson to the disciples of what it is to be compassionate and what it is to be a follower of Christ. And if you want to be first, you've got to be a servant. right? And if you want to be first, you've got to get to the end of the line. And he's going to use this guy. Now, now here, here's what happens in our life when it comes to getting off the curb and into the game. We are concerned that we're not going to have the approval of people around us. And so as a result of that, it's like, I don't know if I want to get in the game. I'm not sure if I want to get off the curb. I think I'm just going to sit here because if I do, then I may not have the approval of other people. And so let's just kind of throw this out and just kind of get this into your mind. And this is kind of Pastor Dan's Leadership 101. So you ready? My job is to please one person, and it's not my wife. That's my number two. But my job is to please the Lord. That's it. And that's how I live. I put Christ first. And there will always be critics and there will always be cynical people and there will always be people complaining and everyone can think that this and that and the other thing and if I was up there, I'd do it different and better and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I get on my knees and I say, Lord, I just want to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I get up and I begin my my day and my life. Because here's the reality. If you get... Where you, start, where you begin to think about what other people are thinking about you, let me just share this. They're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And you're worried about what they're thinking about you, and your whole life is evolving around what they're thinking about you. They're not thinking about you. Because they are selfish, right? Welcome to humankind. And they're thinking about themselves. So why get worried about what they think? 
You just please one Christ. That's all. And then you don't have to worry about what other people are saying and doing and all this other stuff. It drives you crazy. Some of you are like, I am. I am crazy, Dan. Number three. The third thing that we find in his life is that he publicizes his faith. Okay? He publicizes his faith. It's almost a weird thing that he asked, and I'll explain it to you. I think you'll, I think you'll understand it. In verse 51, <clears throat> what do you want, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Well, <laughs> Jesus, I'm blind. My whole life exists sitting on a curb begging for existence. What do I want? I mean, is that even a question? I mean, they told me that you are a healer. They told me that you could read the minds of people. That you could say, thing and, uh, say things and people would go, how did he know? And you're coming to me as I'm sitting on a curb and you ask me, what do I want? Are you the real deal? See, that's not it at all. He answers, and he says, the blind man answers, Rabbi, and it's actually Rabboni, and we'll get to that word in a minute. I want to see. And Jesus does something for this guy. It's not that Jesus is clueless, but he gives this guy an opportunity to share what he believes that Jesus is capable of doing. In other words, Jesus... I believe that you can heal my blindness. And he wants him to verbalize, to say what he believes that Christ is able to do. Now, twice he uses son of David. That means that he recognizes that he is the promised one. But in this case, he says rabbi or rabboni. Now, only one other time in the gospel is this word used. And it was used on Easter, and I used that word. And it was when Mary was looking for Jesus in the tomb, and, he, and she thought he was a gardener. And, and Jesus says to Mary, Mary. And Jesus respond, or Mary responds, Rabboni. It means personal master, not rabbi, teacher but personal master. So not only does Bartimaeus understand that Jesus is the promised one, he also recognizes a personal master. It is a personal master to him. And so he gives him the opportunity to really profess his faith. I believe that you are the Christ I believe that you are the promised one. I believe that you are my personal master and that you can suspend the natural law of blindness because you are the creator and you are able and only you are able to touch me and heal me. And that's why Jesus asked him, what do you want from me? What do you believe? That I can do. Now the reality is this. Jesus does that in our life as well. What do you believe that he could do? And this isn't a name it and claim it 
type of theology. This is Jesus asking for you to publicize what you believe he is able to do. What do you believe he is able to do? Now you think about problems in your life. Do you believe that he could resurrect a dead and broken marriage? Do you believe that he could resurrect a person that's in financial collapse? Do you think that he could touch a nation that's turned their back on God? Do you believe that? See, those are the things that on a regular basis we're asked. And Bartimaeus was asked that. What do you want? I want to see. And I believe that you are the one who created. Therefore, you have the ability to suspend the natural law and touch a person and heal them to see. Number four. The fourth thing is, is to accept God's grace. And verse 52 goes on, and he says, Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you, and immediately he received his sight. <clears throat> now, again, this is a picture of, remember Jesus, the disciples, I want to be on the right, I want to be on the left, and Jesus is like, no, listen, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be first, get to the back of the line. Right? And this is a miracle to teach his compassion, and that his desire is to see his compassion of us as believers to get out into the race and be a servant for him and begin to be obedient to what he has called us to do. And so by God's grace, this blind man is able to see. Now let's just ask a couple questions. Did the blind man deserve it? Did he earn it? Did he do any religious rituals to, to get it? No. It was by his grace, and grace and give are both the same word. It was by God's grace that this man was able to see. And by grace, he got off of the, the, the curb and into the game. And we'll see in next. And he began to be a follower of Christ. All right? Now, this is a picture for us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, famous verse. For it is by grace that you have been saved through your hard work and religious activity. Washing the pastor's car, mowing his lawn, and shining his shoes. No? Man, I got the wrong Bible. I got Dan's translation. I hate when that happens. So it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And just in case you missed it, and this is not from yourself, right? And just in case you missed that part, it is a gift from God. And in case you're confused, it is not by works because we don't want anybody walking around going, oh, am I looking good today? God is lucky that I'm on his team, right? Because if he, if I wasn't on his team, I don't know what he would be doing, right? Side note. It always drives me crazy when someone says, man, I hope so-and-so comes to Christ. That person has a great personality. They could do a lot for the kingdom of God. Listen, I hate to tell you this. God doesn't need any of us to do anything, all right? He's just looking for a bunch of stooges like the 12 disciples to change the world, all right? 
So if you don't have that charismatic personality or you're not a people person, and I'm not a people person, you don't believe me, but it's true. I don't like speaking in front of people. I don't like I, I don't like I don't like people. I mean, I love you all the same, but I don't like any of you. All right, I I, I discriminate against all. Right, so uh, <laughs> you guys are like that isn't true. It really is. I would be happy in my room left alone. Thanks. <laughs> oh, that's a kid that used to be in our youth group. When we're done, I'm going to take you on back. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, right? So it is not by work so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, now get the picture of the blind guy. He's sitting on the curb doing nothing. By God's grace, he comes by, he's healed. He gets into the game, and we'll see on point five, and he begins to follow Christ. Ephesians 2 is the exact same picture for us. We were sitting on the curb. We didn't deserve it. He came by in his grace, and he says, you have the faith to believe. And then what does he do? He saves us not because we're, we deserve it, not because we paid for it, not because we did some religious activity. He saved us because he is a merciful God. And he has prepared in advance for us to sit on the curb and do nothing. No. He has prepared in advance for us to get off the curb and get into the game. The same thing of the blind guy. He's sitting on the curb. Jesus comes by. What do you want me to do? I want to see. Rabboni, master, your faith has healed you. He gets off the curb and he begins to follow Christ. I said at the very beginning, believers who are filled with hope are not the ones sitting on the curb. They're the ones that have stuck their neck out and they're in the game for the kingdom. And the farther we stick our neck out of our comfort zone, the more that God in His Spirit shows up to reveal Himself in the midst of that. If you're sitting on the curb, life is passing you by. And you scratch your head and you wonder if there's a God that's alive. And the reality is, He's alive. We just need to get off the curb and begin to see his grace work in our life. Number five is to take the next step. To take the next step. Verse 52. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. And circle that word healed healed, because we're going to come back to that. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus Along the road. And you can circle the word follow as well. So there are two options. You can sit on the curb and do nothing. That's where he started in verse 46. But after he's healed. He gets up off the curb. And he begins to follow Christ. Along the road. And he begins to be a Christ follower. Now let me say this. okay? Kind of a silly statement. You cannot be a Christ follower without following Christ. 
That is why I don't use the word Christian. Because anybody will claim to be a Christian. In fact, 82% of Americans claim to be Christians. You decide. We want Christ followers. Because the word follow means to be the same way with. It means that you have embraced his value, his principles, his teaching, his way of life. You have embraced that into your life. He gets off the curb and he becomes a follower of Christ along the road. Now he uses the word heal. And what's interesting about that is not only is he spiritually healed, I mean physically healed, but he's also spiritually healed. That, that word heal is a common word for salvation. It's a common word in the New Testament that's used for salvation. So the verse could say this. And, and Jesus, Jesus said, go, Jesus said, for your faith has, when we would use the word, saved you. And he got off the curb and he began to follow Christ. Along the road. So here it is. Every single day. The Lord gives us opportunities. To get off the curb. And get in the game. You're either going to allow fear. I'm not qualified. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Shh, be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't sign up for that. You will let fear paralyze you. And you will remain on the curb. And the Lord will walk by or you will grab a hold of the moment. You will allow the hope that you have to be louder than the critics around you. And you will publicize your faith and you will believe that Jesus is able to do whatever he wants to do. And you will begin to be used by him. And as a result, your life will be filled with hope because you will see in your life, and I, folks, I, I, you know, I, sometimes I, I speak that I'm horribly at describing this, but if you've ever stepped out of your comfort zone, something that you knew in your heart of hearts that you were nowhere close to being qualified for, but you believed that God wanted you to do it, and you did it, and His Spirit showed up in the midst of that, there is no high greater and there is nothing that affirms your faith and grows your faith greater than those experiences in life. And you will never experience that sitting on a curb watching life pass you by. And Jesus' compassion motivated the blind man and us to get off the curb and into the game. Your hope has to rise because your faith is built. So there's some questions to take home and wrestle with. Here's the first one. What can I do? Now here's the cool thing. Don't ask, am I qualified? Because that doesn't count. With the Lord, you're qualified. 
You're qualified to do anything that he places on your heart. Do you agree with that? About half of you. Second idea is this. How can I serve? There's tons of opportunities to serve in the church, out of the church. Don't sit on the curb. Begin to serve. Remember, the disciples was, I'm at the left, I'm at the right. And Jesus is like, no, no, you need to be a servant if you want to be great. And if you want to be first, get to the back of the line. And then the last one is this. Who can I serve? Who is it? But if you want to raise the level of hope in your life, you've got to be compassionate and be a Christ follower, which means that you've embraced his teaching, his, his purpose, his, his all that he is, you've embraced it in your life. Don't be a sit and soaker. As encouraging as that is for Pastor Dan to see a room filled with people, this is about encouraged in the body and scattered to reach the community for Christ. Right? That's, that's what it's about. Encouraged is the body, scattered to reach the world. Let's pray.